for September 12th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 741. The Mona Lisa, but better. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Uh, I'm Matt Rather, and I'm back after a little bit of hiatus, and I definitely am Matt Rather. I am 100% Matt Rather, except I have this to say. John Milton was a hack. Paradise Lost is a terrible work of literature. No one should read it, ever. Wait, no, I'm a deep fake of... uh, (laughs) I'm a deep fake of Matt. I'm being forced. My, this voice that you're hearing has been programmed by my enemies, uh, to say something, uh, to say something I would never say against my will. And I am joined here on the Overthinking It podcast by my smart, funny friends from the internet who shall introduce themselves with deep fake opinions, opinions that they will never, uh, themselves hold, uh, but which they're being, uh, they're being forced to say for some, uh, commercial, um, or, uh, political reason. Uh, Deepfake Matthew Belinky, welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. Uh, forward slash, imagine, prompt, deepfake opinion, results. The Disney live action remakes are actually better than the originals. Hmm. Highly sus. Highly sus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Deepfake Mark Lee. Deepfake Mark Lee. What have you to say about the Terminator franchise? <laughs> I get to watch a movie every night because I'm very well rested and get eight hours of sleep every night um, that are not interrupted. I'm just full of vigor because I lack children in my life. Ah. That is definitely something that a robot would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice of deep fake Jordan Stokes. Deep fake, deep fake Stokes. What say you, sir? Listen, there's a, uh, I'm walking in the desert and there's a turtle in front of me tipped on his back and I'm not going to flip it over because, because he knows what he did. <laughs> that turtle knows what he did. Cowabunga, dude. No, no more pizza. <laughs> no more pizza. Uh, no more pizza for you. Um, listen, before we get, uh, before we get underway, uh, a couple of notes. Uh, first, and, you know, not to dwell on this because it's, it's hard to imagine, uh, what could be said, uh, that hasn't been said already. Um, the uh uh we you know noticed uh how, how could you not notice the passing of queen elizabeth ii uh and this is the first this is the first uh podcast in the new era the new the new charles uh charles charles is in charge um and uh is the the podcast of of the new era now you know I, I we don't have really a take on this but you know that uh at overthinking it we are a big fan of monarchs who work and uh this monarch did this monarch monarched real hard uh for a large number of decades and that's uh that is that is certainly something uh, another thing i want to point out you know i i like to point out every little uh, every little milestone and every little um uh, commemoration because I feel like, uh, if you don't, uh, I don't know, if you don't pop a champagne, uh, a champagne cork every once in a while, then even your best days end up being just another day at the office. So I'll note, I'll, I'll just note that this, we, we calculate the, uh, we calculate the anniversary of the weekly overthinking it podcast in two ways around here, right? We started, uh, the podcast pretty early, uh, in the, the beginning of overthinking it when it was a blog, uh, but we didn't go at, with, uh, with an episode with, with you, uh, Matt 
Papalinky and me. Uh, I think it was called Salute Your Shorts uh, after the the classic Nickelodeon thing. And I think we went in in obsessional detail through every Oscar uh, through every uh, Oscar nominated live action short uh, film. Right. It was it was like an hours long breakdown of short films that nobody will ever watch. And we did. Um, you know, uh, yeah, and 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 I think we called it exactly wrong. I think the one where we were like, yeah, this this one will never win the Academy Award was the one that that in fact won the Academy Award. Well, that was back in two thousand eight, and we uh, did the podcast as a hobby until episode thirteen, which launched the weekly. Um, the weekly overthinking a podcast, uh, w- of which we've not missed broadcasting a week. We've, we've come close. <laughs> Actually, it feels like we came close recently in, in the last couple of weeks, just cause summer is the, summer is the weird season where it's just difficult to like, uh, sometimes it's, it's difficult to feel the team with everyone's weird schedules and travels, um, and everything and the new, uh, and, and having babies. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. Last week, new Fenzel dropped and that's, uh, so that's, um, you know, uh, so that the, the 13th episode was, uh, was the first, uh, the first weekly podcast. And, and I, I, I mean, I grow more and more tense. I grow more and more anxious about our record, our unbroken record. Cause the only thing you can do with a, a streak is, is break it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I just hope we, we, when we decide to go out, we go out on our own terms and not because like we just forgot or got busy on Sunday or something like that. So that, that podcast was, uh, September 29th. So that, uh, anniversary is coming up in, a, in, in a few weeks, September 29th, 2008, if memory serves, uh, correctly. And, uh, but we, we calculate it in another way, uh, you know, on the theory that, that a, a year is 52 weeks. There are 52 episodes of the overthinking and podcast in, in any year. It's like 52 weeks and change, I think. But so I also calculated as 13 plus 52 times N. And we are at this, this episode 741 is, uh, is, uh, uh, 13 plus 52 times. 14. So, you know, to the, to the three of you and to everyone listening, ha- happy uh, 14th anniversary to the weekly, to the weekly overthinking a podcast. We, may we never break our streak. Uh, or rather, rather when we finally do break our streak, may it be at Balmoral Castle surrounded by our loved ones. <laughs> um, we've been talking God a lot. Save the podcast. God, God, God save the podcast. Save the podcast. Um, yeah, exactly. God save the anthropomorphic thought bubble. Uh, we've been, uh, we've been talking a little bit and, and posting on our kind of internal chat a lot about, uh, AI art, you know, and, um, I, I don't know, Jordan, you've had some, you've had some really, really good ones. So can you talk a little bit about how you came to AI art, Jordan, and just how, how you have found the, uh, the, the experience of typing into a text box, uh, you know, on a website and then seeing a machine learning model generate uh, a graphic for, or a, a matrix of graphics, I suppose, uh, for you there and kind of what that experience has been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think I came to it the way that most people come to it, which is that first I saw other people doing it on Twitter and thought, hey, I, I should get in on this, you know, uh, and and finding that at first it's it's actually a lot harder to generate good, funny images. But I, it scratches a kind of itch for me because I think that I have a relatively good visual imagination for like what a cool drawing could be. And then I have 
abysmal motor skills. <laughs> so I've never in my life been able to like draw something that looked like what I wanted it to look like. Um, and AI art has gotten to this point where, although it usually doesn't look quite like what you'd want it to look like, and there's always something wrong with the images, it can be like a creditable image of, let's say, um, Marty McFly eating a trombone or, uh, <laughs> you know, Shrek wearing the hollowed out carcass of an additional Shrek or, um, <laughs> that was a real, that was a real one that, <laughs> that Jordan posted. It was, it was horrifying. <laughs> or my, my favorite that I've ever done, which uh, to this, I'd only shared this internally with overthinking it people up till now is thick Batman with two C's. <laughs> <laughs> Which my, my favorite thing about that is that uh, the the doll E AI generated not only several thick Batman but also one thick Batman doing the duck face pose. <laughs> um, I the you know I don't know has it, who else has been experimenting with it. I haven't, so I'm I'm the kind of the noob and interlocutor on this particular one. I'm the the Donna of the West Wing of this uh you know of this um particular uh, episode of the the podcast so blinky have you been uh, making some some ai art with machine learning models i i ha- it's pretty addicting it's it's pretty fun because e- even though i mean part of it is the thrill of getting to sort of create pictures of funny things you think about without actually having to go through the hard work of being talented. But part of it is just sort of seeing what sort of monstrosities you can create via serendipity. And it's just these sort of nightmarish um, sort of distorted weird, you know, like one thing that, that all the AI images seem to have in common is that like any sort of text is just this weird garbled, almost like the glyphs of the matrix and it, and it gives everything this very sort of surreal look where it's like, you know, people will be wearing a T-shirt and the T-shirt will just be like a, a, a mystery language. Um, and it's and it's exactly this sort of uncanny valley that that makes the art super compelling. Um, but at the same time, it's not hard to see a future that, you know, given the fact that like this has emerged seemingly this year. I mean, I'm sure that it's it's been, you know, this, the boulder has been rolling slowly down the hill for many years, but it, it feels like it's reached an inflection point and it's easy to imagine that a year from now or two years from now, you'll be able to, to pretty much get a, a, uh, passable image of anything without any weird, you know, uh, nightmare distortion. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty close there. So my main interaction in, uh, this whole field has been, uh, about 11 o'clock at night when I really, really should be going to bed, browsing Reddit, um, obsessively just kind of jaw agape. Uh, the bizarre and often like staggeringly realistic creations uh, that these prompts do. I'm, I'm just going to read this into the record and I'll we'll include a link to this in the show notes so you can see it. Um, taking a selfie during the Battle of Omaha Beach, comma, 1944. And just imagine um, like, you know, what you would Im- like, you know, the actual black and white combat pictures we know uh, very well from World War II, but in the foreground, a bro with a big grin. Um, you know, uh, it positioned as if he had taken a selfie on D-Day. Um, it is just really wild stuff. Um, the other thing that really made an impression on me um, recently is the news, and also the kind of made an impression on, on the kind of the, the, the broader non-internet obsessed, not extremely online audience is that someone used um, the stable diffusion uh, graphics uh, uh, engine to create an AI artwork and he entered it into the Colorado State Fair and won first prize. So 
Uh, there you have it, folks. Um, computers are uh, better artists than human beings. We can pack it all in. We can shut it down. We're we're obsolete. It's been it's been it's been a good run. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like you could sort of laugh it off and say, well, this is just a state fair, and you know, n- n- there's no way that they could ever supplant actual artists but man i remember the point when a chess robot beat the top chess player for the first time and a lot of people were like well you know this will never last and now i think it's pretty much conventionally assumed that there's no way that even the best chess player in the world could really beat a a sufficiently dedicated computer you know not unless you put artificial constraints on the computer somehow so you know maybe maybe this is the brave new world we live in where on the one hand anybody can be a illustrator if you have some idea you can get a good looking picture of it but on the other hand nobody can be an illustrator because it's no longer a skill that distinguishes you from you know and any schmuck with an iphone well hold on hold on jordan i want to i want to like pull on this thread a little bit because people still play chess right and the idea that like a computer can beat us yet we still you know it's still enjoyable like chess youtube is booming (laughs) You know, the, more than, uh, you know, more than you might can think. So it's not that it's not, uh, it's not that it, it has like eliminated practice, the practice of chess, chess playing. I mean, is this, do you feel like this is different in kind than any, any other? I don't know. I, I, I saw an Adam Neely YouTube video. Adam Thiele, uh, Adam Thiele is in YouTube. Adam, uh, is a is a music uh, music nearest? No, Adam Neely is a music theory YouTuber. Um, is a sentence that I just said, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he did a, a Q and A one, and and they were asking questions about um, the the questions that came in were about like, hey, is it you know now that there's AI music, you know, uh, is music does music mean anything? Like, are we all done? Are we all done playing human musicians? And and he did the thing that is is common i feel like is a common rhetorical move in a lot of these circumstances and read a quote from a hundred years ago uh about how these kids today will just completely um completely uh lose their ability to play music because of technology and then reveal that it's a hundred years old the particular one that he chose was from john philip souza and he was uh complaining about the gramophone um and indeed uh you know music uh did you know the musical skills did decline in that like you didn't have to have a, a piano player in every family in order to hear music and sheet music sales declined as you know record sales went up and yet like music wasn't dead it 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 changed, but it it wasn't dead. I don't know. Is it? I, I'm going a, lo- a long way around the barn, and maybe kind of making a straw man uh, for you here. But do you feel like this is different different in in kind than kind of it was ever thus with the uh, you know with the technology just sort of changing the thing, or is have we have we in fact um, uh, entered into a new entered into a new kind of change? I mean, I think there's two two answers to that question. One is, do you think about art as a human endeavor? And two is, do you think about art as specifically a job? Mm. You know, like it, it, it strikes me that this could be um, this could be very, very bad for the visual art industry, uh, which is, of course, not exactly a like thriving, thriving career path in the first place. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not uh, I'm not really smart about that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Jordan, I think, you know, so one of the ways that you can do this is there's like a discord bot that you can uh, you can download that um, will uh, allow you to generate these. I don't know if it's actually stable diffusion or one of the similar uh, pieces of software out there, 
But the interesting thing about the Discord bot is, is when you use it, you could also see like what everyone else is typing in because they're these sort of shared channels. And I was on there, and first of all, like some of these people have real. It's it's hard to imagine like why they're requesting things. I literally saw somebody who was doing sort of variation after variation of like Elmo standing on a battlefield surrounded with the mangled corpses of other Muppets and, you know, adding various adjectives to try to like get it more epic and more, <laughs> more just sort of grisly. And some of them were, were pretty disturbing to watch. But the one that really jumped out at me is somebody was, was doggedly putting in like vector art logo, lighthouse, you know, vector art logo, um, you know, uh, internet icon, you know, like basically exactly it's, it's already happening is what I'm saying that like, you know, people are already using these tools to generate, you know, and, and maybe not like the final design that you'd give to somebody, but just to, to, you know, rapid fire shotgun approach. And I, I think it's the same deal with like concept art that like you could do, you know, in the style of blank, you know, futuristic cityscape, you know, populated by cats and you would get like a whole lot of, you know, and then hopefully like there would be a trained artist who could like take that and refine it and, and, you know, play with the details. But I think, you know, already we're at a point where like you could use an AI art bot to do some of the heavy lifting of ideation. Um, and then, you know, use, use that to, 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 you know, get over the hump that like in the past you would need to have your own references. You would need to have done your own, uh, you know, made your own Pinterest board and use that as inspiration before you started working. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems totally plausible, you know, and, uh, there, there are certain kinds of things that you would need to study, like, you, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a commercial artist, you need to have a good hand and you also need to know some like color theory and you also need to know various historical styles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like you can kind of cut to the head of the line in a way now if you have a decent hand and can like go in and clean up the weird thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, that guy has three lips, uh, then you can get a lot of the sort of striking composition and an interesting color palette and a sort of uh, mostly smooth oil painting style or watercolor style or 3D rendered style, whatever you plug into the robot, right? All of that stuff is probably going to become more or less automated. So maybe it won't be that the illustration in, illustration industry goes away, but that it becomes tool assisted uh, in kind of the same way that, oh, I don't know, like making chairs and making clothing has become tool assisted and the people who actually sit down with like pencils and ink and do it by hand without a machine will be kind of like the bespoke suits of the of the art world or something like that and that's you know because bespoke suits exist right and like pe people who do i don't know wood cuttings or something like that exist though w wood cuttings are a are a technology of reproduction right they're like uh, uh <laughs> By the way, one of my other very successful AI art prompts was old-timey woodcuts of Darth Vader eating tacos. <laughs> how'd, how'd that come out? Exactly what you'd want. <laughs> that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, that like, right, like the, there's still there are still people who, who do that. And it, it, yeah, as you say, it, it sort of becomes tool assisted. This this actually happened in the Adam Neely video that I was that I was uh 
that I was watching and kind of came to mind when you when you talked about um, how uh, you know these kids today uh, will never you know will never ever be artists was that like uh, he he showed a uh, an interview with a bassist from the like the eighties or nineties from German television of all places where he was complaining about uh, jobs being lost to synthesizers to synthesize bass lines which could be programmed a lot more cheaply than um, a lot more cheaply than you know uh, hiring a session musician to come in and and uh, and play on your record and it was specifically it was this this sort of economic uh it was this sort of econ- economic thing i mean i you know i don't know there's a body of theory around this like benjamin w- uh, wrote um walter benjamin wrote uh, the work of art in the the age of mechanical reproduction where he uh talks about like the the original of a work of art having an uh, i think he calls it an aura that is you know that derives from its authenticity um that uh However, you know, mechanically accurate the reproductions are, they, the reproductions don't have it. And he sort of t- it goes into other things like the, you know, the, the, uh, place, placing art on, on a continuum between having like a cult value as like an icon or an object of worship, you know, and, and then, uh, a kind of a social, um, value, social capital value as like an, as, as like an object in an exhibition to be, you know, displayed in a museum or whatever, um, in a collection. And, uh, the, the, I, I, but the, it, I guess it's worth pointing out that it's different than what we're talking about, which is that, uh, there is no, there kind of is no original, right? Like it's, it's all, um, I don't know. It's all, it's, it's all kind of, uh, kind of an amalgam, right? It's all a, uh, uh, an aggregation of various, uh, associations and how they kind of fit together from the, the words to a, a map from a, a map from, uh, words to pictures. That's not, so different <laughs> um i think from what human artists do when they try to do when they try to do something pathbreaking i mean i guess like i i guess that w- there won't be a next step uh unless like unless we arrive at like a, a stable uh ai generated art that we can call we can say this is that you know this is a thing this is a thing that we can name um and then that can be incorporated. All those images can be fed back into the model and it can become part of the, as it were, the kind of the digital, uh, the digital tradition, right? It's like that. It's, it's in, it's in kind of establishing and navigating a tradition. Uh, I think that these, uh, that these models right now anyway seem to be falling down because it all refers to, it, it it's all reference. It's all, re- it, you know, refers to art that's already been, been created by, created by people. Yeah, you know, I think the chessbot is actually a really useful um, touchstone here for a couple reasons. Now, first of all, um, you know, th- there were some people defending the fact that the guy, or I don't know, maybe I'm just reading weird message boards, but I, I read some people defending the the guy who used the the AI to generate the art in the art show, and they're like, look, art is art, and whatever tools he happened to use, if it was the best piece of art, the judges were right to give it to him. But the fact is that, like, there are obviously very strict rules about using chess bots in competition now, and so that I think that if it has is not already happening, 
saying people in future art competitions are, are busy rewriting the rules to make it clear that like you cannot use any sort of computer tools or i mean you know like we just talked about it might have to be more subtle than that like you know maybe you could use some sort of computer tools in the ideation phase but you it's it's a headache to figure out but then the i mean the other interesting part of comparison is i remember one of the really galling things about you know, to, to chess purists about deep blue. And I think when Kasparov lost that match in 1997, he, he sort of sputtered about this for a while is that like all deep blue is doing, it's not really understanding chess in the way that a human would understand it. It's just studying every possible game. You know, it's learning from humans, right. And extrapolating the way the humans were played. And so that like the, the, you know, if if you're rooting for the humans and against the machines, the annoying thing about the way that the computers do it with both the AI art bots and the chess bots is that they're just sort of stealing, standing on the shoulders of, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, the human art, right? And so that, like, you know, the, the best AI art creations I've seen often refers to human artists, right? And it's sort of like in the style of blank. And then the the computer has scraped every existing image by that person and uses that to create something that's intelligible and, and pleasing to our eyes. Um, you know, so in a way you, you could, you, you want to just sort of almost discount what the AI is doing, which is like, well, it's not really creating art. It's just sort of like doing some fancy copying and pasting from existing where it's ripping off existing work. But then of course, like the fact is like, we all understand that this is, how art works is that no artist exists in a vacuum. Artists are steeped in other art, right? That like artists consume more art than anyone. And, you know, they, every, you know, to some extent we are all, all artists are Quentin Tarantino, right? That it's all just sort of homages and remixes and references and, you know, uh, difference, you know, takes on the art that influenced us. And like, in a way that's all the computer is doing, but at high speed. Um, and of course, without acknowledging any of the artists, you know, that, that uh, whose content the AI had to scrape to get uh, up and running. One thing that uh, none of the AI things that I've worked with were able to do was respond effectively to the prompt, the Mona Lisa, but better. <laughs> 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 but uh, I think this is yeah. like this gets to a really deep philosophical question, Matt, which is like, is that all that artists that human artists are doing? Just they've looked at a lot of art, they've looked at a lot of images, and when they want to draw a picture of like a guy taking a selfie, right? Either they're thinking of a specific image of a specific guy that they're like, yes, that's the one. I'm just going to draw draw Fred, right? Or they have kind of abstracted away a particular kind of goofy grin, a particular placement of the face relative to the frame of, like, the iPhone that you're holding up away from your face. And then based on thousands of images, some of them not very consciously remembered, they create the, the sort of gestalt. And like that's that's definitely how the AI ones seem to work, right? Although I mean, I guess not having looked at the code or knowing enough about code to do anything with it, if I had looked at it, I should probably not run my mouth too much. But kind of, it kind of makes sense to say, well, that must be what humans are doing too. Because the alternative is to say, like, oh, well, no, when people do it, we use our souls, which are magical. And I, I have a hard time saying that out loud and taking it seriously, although like maybe, right? 
Uh, th- maybe you have a magical soul. Maybe, uh, maybe I do. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, that's, wait, I feel the same way about me versus everyone else in in uh, yeah. who I who I encounter. Yeah, right. That's that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly the thing. But the the yeah. So. I, I would go, I mean, I'm, I'm going to like kind of really special case this a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking about, um, thinking about now, you know, taking a selfie, uh, during the Battle of Omaha Beach, 1944, where the, the bros selfie is in the, um, is in the, the kind of the bottom left corner of the frame. I, I have a feeling like as artists, you know, we know from, I don't know, seeing process artifacts, you know, documents and sketchbooks and whatever of, uh, of artist process that they do studies for big works. Right. And so you probably like sketch out. Yeah. What would it mean to be in the bottom left of the frame? What would it mean to be in the, in the bottom right? What would it mean to be, you know, how, how to, how to compose the scene? You probably do different versions. Like, to a certain extent, the, the AI has ingested a lot of different versions as well and, uh, you know, picks this one. And I, I think one interesting question is like, what basis? Cause it, when, because it begs entirely the, the question of, of, you know, whether your immortal soul is involved. Um, but on what basis do you choose between, Hey, what corner do I put this guy's face in? Or do I put it in the middle? Like, you know, a question of just composition, a simple question. Like, where do you put the, the selfie taker's face in this, you know, um, sort of abomination mashup <laughs> image of a bro taking a selfie during the Battle of Omaha Beach? Um, that that like, uh, uh, if if it's human you're like you're you're sort of considering your sketches and you're responding to something uh responding to something about it however like divinely inspired or however mechanistic it is there's a process of discernment uh that that happens and that process of discern discernment and you like to think that it can be that it can go any number of directions depending on uh an intention you know that you have when you're when you're doing it depending on on a goal um whereas with a you know with an uh, with supervised machine learning it's it's a mapping of inputs to outputs right and you get enough millions or billions of inputs you know and you can uh, you can start to extrapolate uh, you get enough uh, mappings of inputs to outputs millions and bill or billions and you can start to extrapolate what the outputs would be from new inputs that's what you know that, that's close to it in a nutshell uh, near as i understand it as a computer programmer but a non-specialist in in this particular area and that like so the the decision is sort of pre-made because it's like hey this is the modal selfie you know or this is the this is the the kind of the average selfie this is the like the uh the ideal you know the sort of platonic is <laughs> closer to the sort of platonic ideal of of the selfie and so it's not it's not related to an intentionality it's related to being the most um kind of crystallized version uh right it's it's related to being kind of closer it's to the to the most common or the yeah the i guess the modal right is the way to put it version of what uh what the mapping of inputs to outputs um uh, is so the the I don't know the the arbitrary thing the or rather the point of arbitration is actually in the uh is in the inputs uh what what you sort of what you put into the system and that's I think that's the point at which the kind of the human ingenuity still I don't know still has a role I'm not sure where that where that I mean, goes it's a, a very practical thing to add to that, all that as well too so just agreed with that thing you said there Matt but like at the state that this technology is now 
um, the default, I believe, behavior for a lot of these AI generation schemes is that it will output five um, or however many you specify um, images all from the same prompt. And so like the human is at least as things are going right now is inevitably doing at least one act of curation and selection and saying like, okay, that's the best one that came out of this. Um, And then more advanced um, use cases, you'll see humans just like take output. And then I think as we talked about before, like, you know, Photoshop, you know, um, enhance, um, correct the weird stuff around hands in particular, like AI right now, um, this is maybe some comfort to us, right? AI is really bad at doing hands um, as are most human artists as well, but like really bad in really interesting ways. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make sure that like that, that part of it seems really important right now. Like as you go, as you go to, uh, reddit.com slash r slash stable diffusion and see this like insane fire hose of fantastical images, you are seeing just kind of the best of the best, um, curated several times over. Sure. That right. And the other thing, as I said, the other thing you see people doing, like uh, Matt was saying about um, like the Discord, you'll see people like trying over and over and over again to get the robot to put out the image that they wanted by like changing the ordering of the words, adding in like high quality, very high quality, no really, I mean it, make it high quality, that kind of thing. Um, as there's there's a kind of like. <sighs> I'm trying to think, there's a metaphor for this, right? When you have something, you don't know what it's going to do, so you just sort of keep trying different things with it. You hit it, you you pull on it, you turn it upside down, and just kind of like shaking the black box to see what comes out. And that also is a kind of human ingenuity. Yeah, it does seem like at this stage that it's like it's a little bit of a voodoo here that that like the the exact keywords that make the difference between something which is sort of like unintelligible and something which seems like it could be a commissioned piece of art feel very arbitrary. And it, and it does sort of seem like, you know, add a couple more adjectives and it could radically change the finished product in a way that nobody can quite predict. It, it does. It seems pretty silly that like you see all these props that have like ultra realistic photo real that keep throwing these things in and it feels like in a in a more refined version of the software like these things should be there should be like more of a checkbox or a drop down rather than something where like you keep throwing these um redundant adjectives in there trying to strengthen the the algorithm in one direction well yeah it's because it's like if it's been trained on the whole corpus of extant human art it you know that goes back to cave paintings or whatever right and there's there's a lot more history when we had non-photorealistic art than when we had than we had photorealistic art though so it does uh, you know it does make sense that that a people would want photorealistic art now because that's where you know that's where we're at uh in the in the tradition and b that like the algorithm wouldn't produce that naturally like it might produce like more impressionism because there's just there's just more more of it out there or more you know uh different styles of painting than the ones that we are the the ones that we are most um the ones that we're most familiar with i mean i'm not super uh i i i'm not super comforted <laughs> right by the idea that uh these are early days for the technology um just thinking about like how how these things go it it seems to like uh, like going bankrupt, right? It happens like very slowly and then all at once. Uh, that like the, the advances in, in these things tend to 
just like you, you look back after 10 years. The, the thing I'm thinking about is also music. Now, I can't remember, Jordan, maybe you know, uh, being a, a professional in this area, but the, the, like the kind of the famous completely synthesized voice and piano, um, recording of Daisy Daisy, give me your answer to, uh, that like, um, the, the from the early days of synthesis that where the the striking thing to me was how advanced the voice was relative to the to the piano sound and how we just couldn't make a good piano sound with synthesis and then like a couple decades later there's like there's physical modeling and the you know advances in computation make uh, uh make it possible to do all kinds of uh, all kinds of new things and and create a, a version of a piano that would that would fool a, a human listener um i'm i'm sure we're headed you know in in a it, probably not months and probably not years but definitely in a decade like it, into a, a whole new um whole new area of this and like we're, it's kind of at the toy phase now though there seem to be some people doing it for uh artistic um, you know, for artistic reasons, right? Like CGI Luke Skywalker, uh, comes to mind for, well, spoiler alert for, uh, you know, the Mandalorian season two, um, which, which seemed, I don't know. Uh, and, and then, then CGI Luke Skywalker returned, uh, more, more spoilers. Um, that that like, uh, there's the, it's, you know, it's not the, the first instance, instance of a fake, um, uh, it's not the uh, the first instance of a fake, uh, uh, like the, a fake use of an of a performer's uh, actual likeness. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking about uh, uh, dancing Fred Astaire selling, uh, I think, a Dirt Devil vacuum cleaner. But um, th- but it it does seem to be like maybe close to uh, a close to one where it's supposed to be a sort of a real person, you know, standing alongside other real people, or I guess rogue one, I guess CGI Leia at the end of, of rogue one. Uh, maybe, I don't know. No, we're talking about CGI Moff Tarkin who had like uh, many, many more uh, spoken lines and and time on screen than princess Leia. Oh, there's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, and you wonder, right? Like certainly if, if the big Hollywood studios could get away with it, they would love to never have to hire another actor, right? Like, you know, hire somebody, give them a nice contract, own their likeness. Once they die, keep making sequels with that same uh, CGI puppet forever and never have to pay another star, you know, Robert Downey Jr. money. You know, I'd, I'd take that deal. Sure. It, it does seem to me that, well, there are a lot of places to go. It does seem to me, though, that we're in, we're in a weird situation there, like we are with the AI images, where you're just dealing with the corpus, uh, the corpus of, of corpses, you know, the, the, the corpus of people, uh, extant, um, rather than like being able to kind of like find new people in the same, in the same way, actually, that we're just dealing with these like mega IP franchises, you know, Star Wars over and over and over and over and over everything, but Star Wars, like a cartoon, but Star Wars, 10 cartoons, but Star Wars. Right. And we, we do seem to be living in this, uh, in this idea. And like, you know, I guess, I guess you'd want to at least scan some new people rather than having every bond be Daniel Craig from, you know, from, now to uh now to the end of of time it seems like it would it would be impoverished in terms of what you could do the the expressive potential of art if you really locked yourself into just what what had happened um up to a certain point i'll i'll add that it's actually especially in like big blockbuster filmmaking doing high quality 
scans of an actor's body is now common practice, especially for the stars, because in a lot of the a lot of the like more fantastical action sequences, like when you get into a lot of the really serious CGI punching in, in Marvel movies, sometimes that's not even, um, sometimes that's not, not even a real, there were no humans were involved in the making of, of a number of those, a number of those shots that goes back to, uh, the first, like the first DVD special features I watched where I ever saw that, um, done for real was starship troopers. So it's been, been going on for a while that like animated versions of actual actors do the action scenes in films there's a great uh youtube video you can find the title is something like actually superheroes are only okay at jumping and what it does is it takes like the the beginnings of all of those shots where the Avengers are about to leap into action and they have the live actors on set all jumping in the air and, you know, getting like, you know, a solid two inches and then going right back down to the ground. And then the CGI takes over from there, but it's a very entertaining super cut. Mm. Yeah. Which uh, this leads into something I was thinking about the other day in terms of the AI art, which is that I think in a, a number of realms of human achievement, We've seen this uh, the cloud of doubt that hovers around these things that you can never again 100% know whether somebody has really created something out of sheer talent. So, I mean, I think the the obvious case here is is athletes, right? Is that there's so much there's so much doping going on, and there's so many you know ways you know it, it is there's so many gray areas even beyond you know straight up anabolic steroids is that like you never really know how clean somebody or, or i mean look at hollywood actors right look at all these you know the, the uh, men's health cover stories about like here's how this person got this physique but you never really know right was it just the personal trainer and the chef that did it um so that's one thing, but then like look at the chess situation, right? That like basically in a lot of cases with online chess, you're kind of on the honor system not to be using a chess bot because there's obviously no way of knowing whether you're using your phone to just model moves out. And I mean, I guess there are different ways that you can, you know, if somebody is is doing this systemically, you might be able to tell that like this person's play really seems like they're letting an AI play for them. But you know, in terms of checking a move or two, basically, there's no way of knowing that the person you're playing against is is uh, being fair. Um, you know, for for some reason, I was watching a, a video with my son about like a a cheating scandal with video games, which is you know rampant now that like people will. Uh, put up these YouTube videos of like them, you know, breaking the record on some track. But like the fact is that like there's so many ways that you can, um, you know, uh, artificially, you know, sort of record and then um, manipulate the the inputs to these things that it's very difficult to ascertain is is somebody really doing these things. I mean, there are there are some realms of human achievement that I would like to believe that like playing an instrument live, like going to Going to the symphony and hearing somebody play like a violin concerto, there's no way to – I like to believe that there's no way to fake that, that like that is just simply, you know, talent and practice. Um, but like, you know, so here's art and you can imagine, you know, uh, visual art and you can imagine composition being another one. You can Im- imagine a future in which – um, music could be churned out by, I mean, I'm sure it already is, but like, you know, at a much more sophisticated level to the point where like, you don't know exactly how much to attribute to talent and achievement. 
I don't maybe maybe screenwriting or or uh, novels will be next. You know, maybe the AI will get good enough at at least some tasks associated with writing. Is that you won't know how much of the prose to attribute to an author and how much might just be like the work of a clever AI. Maybe podcasting will be next. Maybe <laughs> maybe this podcast. <laughs> Maybe maybe this is how we keep our streak going into the future. Maybe we all record our voices. Maybe this is how we admit it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's sort of weird to think about, though, because like to to the point I think that uh, that Matthew Matthew W was saying earlier about how with with these AIs you're looking at the inputs and the outputs, right? And uh, whether the selfie face is on the bottom left or on the bottom right, you kind of look at all of the possible examples that exist and say, okay, it turns out it's usually in the bottom left, so we're going to put it in the bottom left. Kind of the bet that a lot of these AI art things are making, or at least like the bet that the guy that entered it into the, the state fair is making, is that one of those things that you can kind of determine, just like you can determine whether the face is on the left or on the right, is, is this good art, right? And you can kind of figure out in advance whether it's going to be good art and procedurally generate the good art uh, with that being, you know, you, you can be kind of mechanistic about it and say, like, I don't care if art actually is good. I care if most people looking at this would say, yeah, that's good art. And if that can be cracked in a way, right, that that means that the art that's coming out the other side is being positively evaluated as aesthetically good by people. Right. Like it's not it's not lying to us and giving us something that we think is good, but actually isn't. It's giving us something that we are actually saying is good. And if that's the case, then does it actually matter if like the novel was written by um, a sort of unhappy 20 something in a studio apartment in Brooklyn versus, you know, a, a robot? Like why do why do we care? I guess if because the art is because still good. Uh, Jordan, a single bedroom ruins novels. You know, <laughs> you have to you have to like fold the futon back into a couch and like scoot the TV tray over and you know type on your type on your old laptop with you know several keys broken. That's that's the only way art is, where your immortal soul can can produce art is through suffering. But like, what if, what if we put the the hard drive that is producing this into a pair of skinny jeans and agree that it's <laughs> yeah? No, I I think it's a really interesting question, which is like, if if the picture is the best art, or if the novel is is a moving novel, where does it matter where it came from? And I think I think in one respect it doesn't, right? That like something that moves you, something that connects with you. Um, it, it just connects with you no matter where it came from. But I do think that like one of the reasons why art speaks to us is because we can feel a connection with the person who created it, that we, we imagine who they are and like what they were thinking and what they were feeling. And, and I mean, you know, and there, I think to a lot of us, artists are admirable people. They're, you know, heroes in a, in a certain respect or, or, you know, people that we, uh, admire and and there is something about like you know if that novel wasn't produced by somebody who was writing it out of a, a deep passion or was writing it based on a real love affair that they felt or in memory of a child that they lost it does feel a little hollow it does feel a little manipulative because right. that it's really just 
a simple exercise of like pushing our buttons rather than a, you know, it, it doesn't have an actual human um, voice behind it. And it does yeah, matter on some level, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, I guess that's the glass half empty way to look at it. So just to be clear, what we're talking about here is a phenomenon we've discussed many times on this podcast, and I'm sure you've encountered in your life too, which is the story behind the thing, behind the product, right? Um, you know, it's like just uh, it seems to have taken over marketing over the last like 20 years. And I'm sure it well predates that, you know, going back to Mad Men and, and whatnot, right? But, you know, you can't go anywhere on the internet selling artisanal this, that, and the other uh, without finding a page on that website uh, very ostentatiously labeled our story, right? And it could be for, you know, well, there's a the famous parody of, of, of bottled water, you know, having an, an our story, right? It was just like, you know, some guy in overalls turn on a tap. Or something like that, right? But in a kind of you know, going back 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 to the you know what we talked about, you know, the struggling twenty year old in the skinny jeans and the apartment in Brooklyn and the you know the the child loss and all that good stuff. Yeah, but that's real, right? Now, when when I go to you know these AI art galleries, I'm just scrolling through, and I, there's a different story going on there, at least for me, which is just like um, you know the the mystery uh, and the intrigue of uh, how the technology came up with this and like that is its own fascinating story to me right you know is there um you know is there a a 20 something in skinny jeans uh behind that kind yeah. of <laughs> i think it's where, where <laughs> it comes down it's it's all of us that's what it is right um and and that story it it, it lacks the individuality of course yes it lacks that um you know, with this, you know, Western culture, right? We, we're obsessed with the individual, with you know that one person overcoming massive odds. Um, and I say, to heck with that. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like that's 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 my glass half full approach to it. Have you all read like one of these articles that's circulating about lobe or uh, loab? So uh, this is, I mean, talking about the mystery of how this actually works, Uh, a person who specializes in making AI art, like figuring out how to work the prompts to the best effect, um, was playing around with submitting um, negative prompts, which is a thing you can do. You can can ask some of these things rather than making a picture of a donut, make like the opposite of a donut. Uh, And they put in the opposite of Marlon Brando, first of all. And got some like random sort of billboard with some kind of nonsense text on it. And she was like, well, that's weird. If I put in that and then the opposite of this, do I get Marlon Brando? And no, she got this like sort of gaunt looking woman with bright red patches of sort of uh, rash or rosacea or something on her cheeks. And then found that if she then used that visual image as a sort of a seed in various things, like combining it with other images or saying, like, start with this image, but add various text that one, this sort of this woman was very persistent. This exact picture shows up in like all of the descendant things. And that two, apparently like adjacent to this woman in the computer's possibility space are absolutely horrific images of like dismembered children. So if you were to like take take, the woman herself is sort of a little bit creepy looking, but kind of uh, not not particularly offensive. If you take that and say like, okay, I want to blend this image with this Wes Anderson poster, you then get like this woman and uh, dismembered children, but symmetrical. Right. And so on. Uh, So this is uh, as you're saying, there's 
<laughs> it's on the one hand both really interesting, right? And there is this like, what the heck is actually going on here? And that mystery feels compelling in a way. Um, but it also drives home an interesting point, which is that at the very least, the people who are generating this AI art do not know how the algorithms work, right? They're just putting in inputs and kind of trying to find interesting corners of the the computer's like overall image space or something like that. And I mean, rather, you can probably speak to this because you're you're really a, a programmer, but isn't kind of the thing with machine le- learning that even the programmers don't quite know what the machine is doing? Yep. Yeah, it's one of those it it's one of those trade-off things where we get uh you know, blindingly fast kind of computational um I don't know. It's a lot of, I think it's a lot of linear algebra being done very fast. And I guess other kinds of even more advanced things. Uh, but like, uh, you lose, you lose, um, kind of understanding what's going on in, in, inside the box, right? Like what exactly the, the algorithm, the process is that gets you from the, from the inputs to the outputs. And in certain kinds of neural networks, um, certain kinds of ML models, I guess I should say, uh, neural networks being one, um, it's it's like everything is mixed together a bunch of times, right? Like it's all you generate, you know, a whole bunch of neurons and then those neurons are fed into the same, you know, the same number of neurons again with everything being a, everything being an input for everything and out, you know, and then eventually you come out in a, uh, you come out in a, in a, uh, an output, but yeah, you don't know. Um, you, no one, no one could tell you. And that's, that's the thing. That's why they're, they're said to be trained, uh, you know, rather than, rather than programmed because you're not like, there's no intentionality behind the, uh, there's no intentionality behind the, the particular, um, you know, the particular decisions that are made inside the black box, uh, there is intentionality in terms of what you feed into it as a, as a set of training data. That's, that is a, a point of, of choice or arbitration, um, there. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, because you end up sort of reinforcing, uh, the, the training input that, that you give to the thing, which is the, you know, some of the, the origin of the, the social input, the, the social consequences, uh, criticism of the social consequences of this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, presumably nobody who was programming that database was like, you know what? I would like this to be haunted by a murderous ghost <laughs> that apparently seems to have more or less happened. Right. Like, uh, which is, which is weird and interesting. But maybe not good. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, uh. Yeah. Gosh. You know. Is is there? I mean, we didn't. We kind of bounced off the idea that there's something. You know, that there's sort of something to complain about. That there's like a labor complaint. <laughs> you know, we sort of like our our complaint to the NR uh, N L R B on behalf of of you know actors everywhere on behalf of James Bonds everywhere. Um, James is bond everywhere, you know, that they're going to get just scanned and, and reused over and over and over, um, that that's, uh, you know, we kind of bounced off that idea. I don't know. Is there anything else down that? Well, um, I, I myself feel creepy that Fred Astaire's, uh, you know, the animated, uh, dance routine is being used to, to sell dirt devil vacuum cleaners. Um, I, it just, something about that feels, you know, feels wrong to me. And I guess like if, if something is being done with a, you know, with the consent of a person that then at least they're, they're in some way a partner in it. Uh, so, you know, 
all right, but like the idea that these things continue after a person is dead and could be used in ways that the the original uh, performer would not like is it's uh, troubling to me, you know. Yeah, I, I'm gonna bring back my old friend Pete Peak Rock into this conversation, right? Um, for the refresher, this uh, borrowed from the from the notion of peak oil that right, you strike a new source of oil. Um, you rapidly exploit it, and then you know the rate of exploitation uh, gradually declines over time. And, um, and I extrapolated this to the notion of rock music or pop music, um, you know, in the latter part, starting from the latter part of the 20th century, because you have this like initial technologically enabled explosion of creativity around this art form, you know, enabled by amplified instruments and microphone um, um, voices and uh, recording technology and things like that, and um, it kind of it, it arguably peaked in sort of like the 70s and 80s and has been gradually declining because like you know all of the initial innovations were exploited fairly rapidly and what has followed since then has been um much more gradual iterations um and um it's kind of recapitulation on uh, the things that already came out from before and especially if you look at rock music right um you know two guitars a bass um uh, electric bass and and drums um it, it it's it's hard to forge new territory there while still remaining rock music um anyway to kind of like apply that back to like you know Fred Astaire dancing around with the with the vacuum cleaner um you know we keep hitting upon this notion that like after our initial technologically enabled explosion of pop culture whether it be um, music, or in this case, movies, pop culture icons, uh, franchises—you know, intellectual property that really resonate. Um, we hit that initial stage of a rapid exploitation and are just in that inevitable long decline, where nothing new or interesting is coming out, and people are just keep going back to the valuable old stuff again. See our friend Star Wars, and that just always you know useful example, and we just. You know, and, and this is where we're now. We're just like, you know, rather than creating new stuff and just digitally recreating the old stuff and iterating, 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 whether it's through artificial intelligence or, you know, an artist, um, uh, you know, digitally bringing back Luke Skywalker. It all just feels kind of inevitable to me. Um, and again, like, you know, I, I, I choose not to see this from a glass half empty point of view as sadness, as it's just kind of like, well, here we are. We've all decided we just want to keep wanting more Star Wars. So we're going to get it. Let's see where this takes us. I'm okay with that. Maybe I shouldn't be though. So you, anyone, you feel free to tell me that I'm, I should not be okay with this. I mean, I, I guess I, I think it leads somewhere. If you kind of just extrapolate that out to, you know, to, to what is it called? Uh, reductio absurdum, right? Uh, ad absurdum, something like that. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, I read in the nineties, some like Ray Kurzweil singularity stuff and, and he, um, he uh, talked about like uh, uh, he pa- painted a vision of the future where um, you know we all lived in our matrix pods and we uh, uh, were kind of fed a diet of of not just entertainment but sort of companionship that was generated by computers and like custom calibrated custom calibrated to us because the thing that you can do like the thing you know I don't know the the it's they're not going to be they're not going to be satisfied guys. They're not going to be satisfied with scanning actors. They're going to start inventing actors. You know, they're, they're going to start like creating new people that, that they can own, you know, that the corporations, man, that the corporations can own. And like, why would you, uh, why would you, um, link yourself to a person who can do all kinds of embarrassing things, who can, you know, decide that they don't want to be in your, uh, you know, I don't know your, your, uh, political, um, 
film that you're you're making uh yet that they don't want to like the participate in that you're going to get a um you're going to get a, uh, uh, a 100%, you know, synthetic, um, star, right? Block, summer blockbuster star. And like, we're, we're not going to like make one Star Wars anymore. When it becomes computationally, uh, trivial, you know, why, why don't we make a different Star Wars for each of us? That's just the ideal Star Wars for you based on, you know, what we know about our, hyper uh, accurate scans of your brain and like what we can like extrapolate about your your personality and things like this and just kind of feed it to you along with a uh, a set of fake um along with a set of like fake uh, uh people in your you know bath of Ma- bath of matrix goo as these things are like uh as thing these things are are you know pumped into your brain and if the i don't know the the uh, right this this sounds like i'm i'm I, an old man shouting in a cloud i guess but like the the or 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 maybe i'm like the lorax standing on the tree stump imploring everybody to to like to listen before the the very last truffula tree is uh you know the very last truffula tree of of cinematic ingenuity is is you know leveled uh by the by the digital machines um but like i don't know i i think to to what Belinky said earlier it's not just that like you you have communion with another artist and something that you've read across time i think that there are valuable experiences where you have kind of an alienating or a difficult experience right like encountering the consciousness of another person uh across time and that like that disruption that kind of dislocation that you feel um encountering something that's really fundamentally different is you know very good for the way that like the way that art can kind of shape shape your humanity can kind of awaken your moral imagination can can you know uh, create a uh, create an experience where you know I, I I don't know that like art is there to create good citizens or or good people but that can be you know that can have a a, a decisive influence on uh, you know the the kind of person the kind of person you are and they're they're not all you know I am I suppose a small c conservative because I do believe there's a human nature that we can you know which is why i i can be moved reading uh i don't know the iliad and why i can be moved reading shakespeare and why you know that 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 the uh the many uh, of the many improvements um uh, you know that have been wrought on the world uh you know the the curing of diseases the, the extension of life the the alleviation of suffering you know to the extent that we've been able to do those things well you know one thing we we have not been able to uh to um work a lot of progress on is the human soul, which is why I understand, you know, which is why I, I can identify with why I can kind of commune with, um, the consciousness behind a lot of those, those much older works at, at, you know, very different times and in, in, in very different places. And I view this as a, you know, a whole, uh, a, a whole hopeful, like uh, comedy of, of humankind type of, uh, type of thing. But if it's, you know, I don't know if it's being custom generated for you and, and, and piped into your brain. I, I wonder if something is, isn't uh isn't being lost a little bit like we talk about we talk about our filter bubbles you know uh in in our various kinds of media consumption and this you know the 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 seems like the natural extrapolation of this leads to uh that in a more 
um, you know, in a more extreme form. And the the kind of negative externalities of the current situation make me really, really uh, anxious about the negative externalities of the uh, of the other situation. Now, look, I know I've just said a lot right at the hour mark when we should be uh, we should be uh, calling a stop to this. Uh, does anyone want to jump in on that topic? I don't want to sort of close down the conversation before we, uh, you know, before we have a chance to cash it out. Um, though I'm, I'm relying on most of you being on the East Coast and very tired. I mean, that's a pretty solid ending, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, then I- all, all I have to say is dystopic, future hellscape, um, uh, siloed uh, bubbles, ultra-realistic cyberpunk. <laughs> cyberpunk. Uh, um, yeah, uh, all I have to say is, uh, high res audio, our podcast, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, overeducated, trivial concerns, <laughs> you know, what, uh, male pattern baldness, um, <laughs> is, is what I'm putting into the algorithm. <laughs> and we'll get another 741 episodes, another 14 years of the, the, uh, of the podcast. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, to, to Matt, to Mark, to Jordan. Thanks for podcasting on this really fascinating topic. Uh, we'll be back next week with more uh, one way or another, unless we break the streak. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.